Welcome to the Kaleo Life Podcast. You can find more resources for gospel living and information about us by going to our website, kaleo.community. Enjoy today's sermon. He said to me, It is Solomon, your son, who shall build my house and my courts, for I have chosen him to be my son, and I will be his father. I will establish his kingdom forever if he continues strong in keeping my commandments and my rules as he is today. Now, therefore, in the sight of all Israel, the assembly of the Lord and in the hearing of our God, observe and seek out all the commandments of the Lord your God that you may possess this good land and leave it for an inheritance to your children after you forever. And you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. Be careful now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. Then David gave Solomon, his son, the plan of the vestibule of the temple and of the houses, its treasuries, its upper rooms and its inner chambers and of the room for the mercy seat and the plan of all that he had in mind for the courts of the house of the Lord, all the surrounding chambers, the treasuries of the house of God and the treasuries for dedicated gifts, for the divisions of the priests and of the Levites, and all the work of the service in the house of the Lord, for all the vessels for the service in the house of the Lord, the weight of gold for all golden vessels for each service, the weight of silver vessels for each service, the weight of golden lampstands and their lamps, the weight of gold for each lampstand and its lamps, the weight of silver for a lampstand and its lamps, according to the use of each lampstand in the service, the weight of gold for each table for the showbread, the silver for the silver tables, and pure gold for the forks, the basins and the cups, for the golden bowls and the weight of each, for the silver bowls and the weight of each, for the altar of incense made of refined gold and its weight, also his plan for the golden chariot for the cherubim that spread their wings and cover the ark of the covenant of the Lord. All this he made clear to me in writing from the hand of the Lord all the work to be done according to the plan. Then David said to Solomon, his son, Be strong and courageous and do it. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed, for the Lord God, even my God, is with you. He will not leave you or forsake you until all the work for the service of the house of the Lord is finished. And behold, the divisions of the priests and the Levites for all the service of the house of God And with you in all the work will be every willing man who has skill for any kind of service. Also, the officers and all the people will be holy at your command. This is the word of God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this uh, message recorded here in this book, in the Chronicles. Thank you that your son Jesus is building his church. The gates of hell will not prevail against her. 
Thank you that we are gathered in your name. And I pray, Lord, that as we look into your word, that you speak to us, that you instruct us, that you teach us, that you convict us, that you transform our hearts. We need to be transformed as we behold your glory in the face of your Son. Please fill us with your spirit to understand. Fill me with your spirit to speak your words. I pray that we would be encouraged and motivated and prepared to build your temple. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So David is at the end of his reign. We saw a little bit of that uh, in our series of the, the seed of the woman where uh, Bathsheba and, and Nathan had to intervene because, uh, why do I always forget his name? Uh, Adonijah was uh, a counterfeit king and, and he, was become, he made himself king instead of Solomon, but God had already promised David and David had already promised Bathsheba that Solomon would be king. And so here we have a, a, a you know, the, the, ends, the, the end of David's days as king. And we see a little bit of the story from a different perspective. Um, and so David gathers, assembles all the chiefs and all the officials, all the commanders of his people, the warriors, everyone who is uh, of any importance in, in his kingdom, in his uh, in his. Uh, Rain and, and he brings them in and he gives them instructions regarding his son Solomon and regarding the building of the temple. And so he explains and says, I, I wanted to build a temple for the Lord. I had it in my heart to build a place, a resting place for the Ark of the Covenant, a, a footstool for, for God. But God told him, no, I'm actually going to build you a house. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build your house and, I, and, and you will always have an an heir sitting on your throne, and, and he makes this beautiful covenant with David, which we know as the Davidic covenant. Uh, and in this covenant, he says that his son is the one who is actually going to build the temple. His son Solomon is the one who is going to build the temple. One of the reasons why David cannot build the temple is because he has shed blood with his hands. But Solomon will build this temple. And so... In this passage, he gives a charge to Solomon on how to build this temple. He gives him instructions, detailed instructions on how to build the temple. Uh, next week, we're going to see in chapter 29 how he provides the materials. He provides the, the, the necessary funds and means for building this temple. He prays for this, uh, for this endeavor. He blesses this endeavor. Um, and so the, the entire focus of this passage is King David passing on the baton to his son, Solomon, and giving him the instructions on building this temple. Now, I think it is, I, I, most of us probably know that David is a, a type of the Messiah. In other words, he is someone who symbolizes or someone who points us to the Messiah. But we also need to remember that Solomon is also a type of the Messiah. I mean, even if you look at, at this passage, for example, in, in, verse, uh, in verse 6, this is what God says of Solomon. 
It is Solomon, your son, who shall build my house and my courts. For I have chosen him to be my son. I mean, that's, you know, he's saying that of Solomon, but ultimately uh, Jesus is God's son, right? And I will be his father and I will establish his kingdom forever. If he continues strong in keeping my commandments and my rules as he is today. So just as Solomon was going to build this temple, just as Solomon was God's chosen son and and he had received this commission to build the temple, we can say that Jesus is the one who is ultimately building his temple. We can say that Jesus is ultimately God's son and he has received the commission of building the church, of building the temple of God. Let's Let's think about the temple for a second here, right? We see in this picture, and, and clearly we see a, you know, a, a uh, temple made out of stone, a physical temple. But remember the concept of God's presence throughout the Bible, throughout the scriptures, right? This is what, what some people would call biblical theology. Let's do a little, bit, a little bit of biblical theology, and let's think about the temple and the presence of God throughout the history of Scripture. Remember, right, that God's presence was with Adam and Eve in Eden. Unfortunately, they, because of their sin, they were kicked out of God's presence. And then um, God chose Abraham, right? And, and uh, uh, from Abraham, he formed a nation, and then this nation eventually went to Egypt. And when God released them from Egypt, he delivered them from Egypt He brought them out. He took them to the wilderness and God's presence was with them, right? God's presence was with them through the cloud. God's presence was with them through the column of fire in the desert. But then eventually God gave them instructions on how to build a tabernacle. And the tabernacle was a tent that they could carry in the wilderness where God's presence would be. And Uh, uh, I don't know if you remember, but when we study the book of Exodus and we see the instructions that God gave to the people of Israel on how to build the tabernacle, a lot of these instructions are pointing back to the Garden of Eden. The tabernacle has a lot of uh, um, structures and figures that point back to the Garden of Eden where God's presence originally was with man. And so, The tabernacle is this place where God's presence is supposed to be among man. And then eventually they make it into the promised land. They continue, God's presence continued to be in the tabernacle. But eventually David says, Lord, I want to build you a temple. I want to build a place for your presence to be in. And, and of course, as we already said, God says, no, I'm going to build you a house. And you cannot build the temple, but your son will build the temple. And so when Solomon builds a temple then God's presence enters this temple. And of course, we know, and, and Solomon, when he built the temple, he knew as well that God's presence cannot be limited to a physical building, right? But at the same time, God is pleased in dwelling in this place. God decides to make his presence known to people in this temple. Eventually, this temple gets, uh, gets destroyed because of the disobedience of the people of Israel. They return to Israel after being in captivity for many years. 
and they rebuild a temple. So they have a second temple and God's presence is there as well. But the prophet Ezekiel is already talking about how God's presence is, is pretty much leaving that temple, because, again, because of the disobedience of the people. And then we go to the New Testament and in the passage that, that Sam read uh, today, we read that the word became flesh and he tabernacled among us. He dwelled among us. And so we see that now, like it says in Colossians, the, uh, in Christ, in him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So Jesus became that temple. Jesus became God among us here on earth. In fact, remember, right, when the, when the Pharisees are challenging him and, and, and asking for a sign, he says, destroy this temple and I will rebuild it in, in three days. And the Pharisees mock him, right? And say, it, it took 40 years to build, this, to build this temple. And he says he's going to rebuild it in three days. But then John makes that annotation there and says he was talking about the temple of his body, right? So Jesus is the temple. But then eventually when Jesus uh, dies on the cross and he, and he uh, is resurrected from the dead and he ascends into heaven, he sends down his Holy Spirit who would now dwell in God's people. And now the church, as we read in, in, in many New Testament passages like 1 Corinthians, well, I, I could name multiple, but now the church is the temple of the living God. And when I talk about the church, I don't mean like this building or any other church building. I mean the people. We, the church, we are the temple of the living God. God's presence is now among us. God's presence is with his people. And one of the things that Jesus said when he was here on earth, he said, I will build my church. And so just like Solomon had the commission to build this physical temple for God's presence to dwell at the time, Jesus, the ultimate Solomon, the ultimate son of God, is the one who is building his church. He is building his temple. But as we have seen in different books of the Bible, for example, in the book of Acts or in the book of Revelation, the things that Jesus does, he often does them through his body, which is the church. In the book of Acts, remember how we talked about the, how the book of Acts was the continuation of the ministry of Jesus through his body, through the church. In the book of Revelation, remember how we talked about the church, the people of God having such a central, such an important role in God's purposes for this world. And so if Jesus is the head of the body, then whatever Jesus accomplishes, he is accomplishing it through his body, the church. And therefore, it means that we as the church, even though Jesus is the one that promised that he will build his church, and even though we ourselves are members of this church, we ourselves are stones in, in this church, it is also our job, it is also our responsibility to build the church, to build the temple. And so that's, if I were to name this mini-series, that's, that's what I would name it, Build the temple as an, as an imperative. Let's build the temple. 
Because as members of the church, it is our duty to build the church, to edify the church. And so I want us to look at these passages today, chapter 28, next week, chapter 29, and eventually Haggai. Um, and I want us to I want us to learn some principles on how to build a temple. Right? Like I, I and I'm not talking about like, okay, so we better measure the gold right and we better measure the silver so that we get the right measurements. No, no, no. I'm not again, I'm not talking about building a physical building, but rather building a spiritual temple, a spiritual church. And I think that this passage has a lot of instruction for us on how to build God's temple. Uh, this is not going to be um, exhaustive. I'm not going to go verse by verse or, or anything like that. I'm just going to grab a few principles from this passage. Um, the first principle that, that we can learn here from, from this passage about building the temple is that we must have the right disposition to build the temple. We must have the right disposition to build the temple. Notice what David tells his son Solomon before he gives him the instructions on how to build the temple. In verse 9, he says, And you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. If you seek him, he will, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. Be careful now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. So for Solomon to be able to build this temple, he needed to have the right disposition. And one of the things that he needed, one of the things involved in this right disposition was knowing God. He had to know God in order to build the temple. And so in the same way, if we want to build the church, if we want to edify the church, the, the first thing for us is that we need to know God. Just like David says, know the God of your father. We need to know our God. And by knowing, I don't mean just knowing about him, but I mean knowing him personally, having a personal relationship with him, knowing his character, knowing his likes and his dislikes, knowing his love for us, knowing his grace for us, his mercy, but also knowing his uh, his. His, his uh, judgment, his wrath, knowing everything about him, having a deep personal relationship with him. If we want to edify the church, if we really want to build the church, but we don't know the Lord, but we don't know God, then we simply cannot build the church. In fact, I think we are going to end up destroying the church, if we try to build, but we don't have a relationship with him, but we don't know him. So the first thing is knowing God. Part of this 
part of having the right disposition is also serving him with a whole heart and a willing mind or a willing self. So David tells his son, you have to serve the Lord with the whole heart. Now, I, I did a little bit of digging with these words, with the word heart and the word mind. And the word heart in, in Hebrew thought is not really like how we think of heart here in, in, in this country or in our culture, right? In our culture, I feel like a lot of the times the heart is almost like the counterpart to the mind. Right? Like it's either what your heart says or what your brain says, right? And there's even memes on the internet, you know, where your heart is telling you to do something, your brain is telling you to do something else. Well, that's not the way that the heart was understood in Hebrew culture. In Hebrew thought, the heart is not only the seat of the emotions, right? That's, that's kind of how we understand heart is the seat of the emotions, but it is also the seat of our intellect, And it is the seat of our will. In other words, what maybe for us would be a combination of the heart and mind, for the Hebrews, it was the heart. You thought with your heart. You felt with your heart. You decided with your heart. And so this means that if we want to build God's temple, if we want to edify the church, we have to serve, serve him with all of our being, with all of our heart, wholeheartedly. And by that, I don't, again, by that, I don't just mean the emotions. By that, I mean everything. It means that we serve God with our intellect. It means that we serve God with, with the, the, the um, capability that he's given us to reason. He has made us rational beings, and therefore we should make him with, our reason, with our intellect. Worship of God is not this weird, mindless ecstasy, right? Where you, where you have no idea what is going on. No, we worship him with our whole heart, with our whole intellect. But the fact that we worship him with our intellect mean, doesn't mean that we leave the emotions aside or that we should be scared of emotions, right? That's something I grew up with. Intellectual was good, rational was good, emotional was bad. But the whole heart includes your emotions as well. We want to serve God with our whole heart, our emotions included. So while our worship of him is intellectual and we understand what we're doing, it should also be something that affects our emotions It should be something that affects our will. I think one, one English word that, that would probably be good in describing this combination would be our affections. We need to worship God with our affections. That is our will, our intellect, our emotions. We also worship him and serve him with a willing mind. And now I, I also looked into this word and mind is actually not that great of a translation, right? Because that kind of reinforces the, the, the Western American way of thinking, oh, whole heart and willing mind, right? The two parts. But no, we already determined that the heart is both mind 
intellect, and, and emotions, the word for, for my, that is translated here as mind is literally the word for throat. Like your, you know, your throat right here. And it's a word that, other than meaning literally your throat, could also mean a person, a, a being, a living being. So it could be used for, for people. It could be used for animals. So for example, like when they were counting, sometimes when they were counting how many people there were there, they would say, and there were 10 throats. In other words, 10 people, right? And so this idea of, of uh, this word that literally means throat is a word that implies our whole being, our whole existence. And so in other words, God wants Solomon and he wants us to serve him with our whole being. He wants us to serve him with a willing self. Now, I think this is important because when we understand that we belong to him, right, that we do not belong to us, but we belong to him, then we should have a willing self. Because ultimately, my body is not my own. My life is not my own. My will is not my own. And so if God tells me to do Something, having a willing self is saying, okay, I do not belong to myself. I belong to him and therefore I'm going to go and do what he is asking me to do. If he tells me don't do that, same thing. I understand that I belong to him and I'm not going to do that. If he calls me somewhere else, I'm going to obey him and I'm going to go wherever he calls me. And so if you want to build the temple, if you want to edify the church, if we want to edify the church, we must serve God with our whole heart and with a willing self. We must be willing to do whatever he asks of us. We must be willing to sacrifice whatever is needed to sacrifice. Building the church is the highest calling that we could have. There are many things that, that, that you might want to do in, in 2022. There might be many goals that you have, and I'm not saying that those goals are, are bad. But the best possible thing that we can do this year and the next year and every year is build, to build the church of Christ. So the right disposition also requires that we seek him, right? Solomon, uh, King David tells Solomon, if you seek him, he will be found by you. I think it's really comforting to know that God is not playing hide and seek. That God is not hiding from us. That God is not, you know, running away from us and, and giving us weird riddles and, and you know, kind of playing games with us, but rather he wants to be found by us. He promises that if we seek him, he will be found by us. He will make himself known to us. And that's really amazing because I know people, I've, I've talked to people who, you know, read their Bibles and, and think, oh, you know, but there, there's got to be a, a, a deeper meaning here, right? And, and I mean, it could range from any, anything from, well, let's count all the vowels and then let's subtract 
the consonants and you know whatever letter it's in the middle you go to the alphabet and what you know it can be completely insane or it could just be almost feeling like God is playing games with us no there's got to be something else there's got to be something deeper and yes while I while I believe that the Bible is extremely deep and while I believe that we will continue to find new things and learn new things about God one thing about our God is that he will reveal himself to those who seek him with a humble heart. If you are feeling like your relationship with God is maybe cold or distant, all you have to do is humble yourself. And if you seek him with your whole heart, if you seek him with humility, he will be found by you. He is not hiding from you. However, there is a warning, right? To Solomon, he says, but if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. Well, this is, this is a really big deal. And so, you know, at the same time, if we, if we tell God that we don't want him, if we harden our hearts like Pharaoh hardened his heart, then, you know, eventually he will harden our own hearts and we will be cast off. So seek God. If you want to build his church, seek him with humility. Do not forsake him. Let us be faithful to God. Now, another part of this right disposition is we have to be careful. He says, be careful now for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. We will talk a little bit more about this concept of, of being careful. But for now, we need to remember that God, that our God is a consuming fire. We need to remember that God is mighty, awesome. He is great. The, the persons in the Bible who had a close encounter with God, they wanted to die. They felt like dying. They fell to the ground. Remember Isaiah when he has this vision of of God, he says, woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. So we are not dealing with this happy little God, you know, good old, I, I, I don't know, I, I'm sure there are many ways that people refer to God. I, I know that in Mexico, many people pray and say, uh, they would say, Diosito, which means little God. Little God, little God, I pray that. No, God is not a little God. God is a consuming fire. And so if we are taking on this endeavor of building his temple, we better do it carefully. We better do it uh, mindfully. We better do it caring about how we walk, how we live, caring about our doctrine, caring about our teaching, caring about the works that we do. We cannot serve God and build his church carelessly. He is too great. 
for us to take his work lightly. This means that when you do the work of building the church, when you encourage others in the church, when you exhort others in the church, when you disciple your children, when you discipline your children, when you train your children, when you have interactions with other believers, when you have interactions with unbelievers, whenever you are doing the work of building God's temple, we have to do it carefully. We have to do it consciously, not willy-nilly, but carefully. And then this also requires to be strong. It requires strength. We need strength because the task ahead of us, it's not easy. Building God's temple is not easy. It's not an easy task. It's something that is going to require sacrifice. It's something that is going to require endurance. It's very easy to, to give up when building God's temple. Especially because we are dealing with, with people and, and we know that we are very fallible, very imperfect. We commit the same sins over and over. And so maybe you are discipling someone or when you are training your kids and you see that there's just, there, there seems to be no growth. It is discouraging. But that's why we need to be strong in doing this. Now, I believe that, I, 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 think of, uh, I think it's 1 Timothy, where Paul tells Timothy, be strengthened by, I think he says, be strengthened by the grace of, of, that is in Jesus Christ. I, I, I think I'm misquoting it, but the, the idea is, Paul is giving Timothy a command to be strengthened, right? It's, it's a passive tense. Here, David is given a command to Solomon to be strong. And I think it is both being strengthened and being strong, right? There is a human effort. We have to put an effort. We have to put sacrifice. We have to put the hard work. But ultimately, it is God who strengthens strengthen us. It is God who gives us the strength and the power to do the work of building his church. Okay, so that was, that was number one. I have two more points, but don't worry. They're not nearly as long. Number two, we must have the right materials and plans to build the temple. So notice how David gives Solomon a very detailed list of the, the materials that they're going to use, uh, um, the, you know, the measurements for each one of the parts of this temple. And notice a couple of things that he says. In verse 12, he says, and the plan of all that he had in mind. And then in verse uh, 19, and this one is more clear, right? Because verse, uh, verse 12 is a little bit more ambiguous. We don't know if it was what David had in mind or what God had in mind. But in verse uh, 19, it makes it very clear. David tells Solomon, all this he made clear to me in writing from the hand of the Lord, all the work to be done according to the plan. In other words, David is telling Solomon that all of these instructions that he is giving them for building the temple, these are not things that David made up. These are things that God gave David handwritten by his hand. 
the instructions that God gave David for building the temple, he gave him to him handwritten by the Lord. And so the, the application for us here, I believe, is that when building God's temple, we cannot just do whatever we want. We cannot just do whatever we feel like doing. I've heard people say, you know, just, just do something. It doesn't matter what, just do something. Well, can you imagine if Solomon would have said, just build something and let's see what happens. No, there were clear instructions for building the temple. So I want us to jump uh, forward to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I believe that the New Testament and, and ultimately the whole Bible, but the New Testament makes it very clear on how to build the temple. There, the New Testament is loaded with instructions on how to build the temple of God, the church. And one key for, under, for, for catching these instructions is finding all of the one another's of the Bible. Whenever you see, bear one another's burdens. Encourage one another. Pray for one another. Speak to one another the truth in love. The New Testament is loaded with instructions, clear instructions on how we are to build the temple of God, on how we are to build the church. But I want us to go to 1 Corinthians 4, and I want us, I want us to think specifically about the concept of the materials. And sorry, it's actually chapter uh, 3. So the, the church of Corinth has divisions. Some say they're from Apollos, some say they're Paul. And so Paul is responding to them. And in verse 8, he says, He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. So there's one analogy there, right? The church is God's field. And then there's another analogy right after that. God's building. The church is God's building. And he switches to that building analogy, and this is what he says in verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. There's the idea of being careful. Be careful how you build on the foundation. For no one can lay a foundation other than which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the foundation. We sang that, right? He is the firm foundation. He is the cornerstone. Now, if, verse 12, now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. So here, there's a similar concept, right, of building with the right materials. 
And also, these materials are our works. And so, when we, as we are thinking about edifying the church, as we are thinking about building God's temple, we need to make sure that we are following the handwritten instructions on how to build the temple. Again, we don't get to do whatever we want. We don't get to build however we want. God has given us clear instructions on how to build the temple. God has prepared good works for us so that we would walk in them. And so the way that we build matters. The materials that we use for building matter. So whenever you are thinking, okay, I, I want to build God's temple. I, I, I want to edify others. I'm going to meet with this person. I'm going to have a conversation with this person to build them up. I'm going to use my spiritual gifts to build people up. Make sure that you are doing it according to God's word. Make sure that you are following the God-given plan. Lastly, going back to Chronicles, we cannot build God's temple alone. We need God's presence. We need God. We cannot do this alone. But the good news is that God is with us. So after David gives these instructions to Solomon in verse 20, he says, Then David said to Solomon his son, Be strong and courageous and do it. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed, for the Lord God, even my God, is with you. He will not leave you or forsake you until the work for the service of the house of the Lord is finished. And just as Solomon had this promise from David, we have the same promise from Christ. Remember when he was about to ascend, he was talking to his disciples. He was giving them this, this commission of building the temple. He, he was giving them the commission of making disciples. He told them, all authority has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he says, I am with you always to the end of the age. So even though Jesus was about to ascend, about to leave them in a sense, he is assuring them and telling them, no, I am with you always to the end of the age. So sometimes when we are building God's temple, there might be times where we feel like we are the only ones doing it. There might be times where we feel like we are alone in this. Sometimes it might feel, man, this work, this world is so dark. This task is too difficult. But we need to remember that God is with us. We can be strong and courageous and do the work and not being afraid of the work or dismayed for the Lord God, even my God, he is with you, he will not leave you nor forsake you until the work for the service of the house of the Lord is finished. He will never abandon us. He will be with us until the task is done. And then when the task of building the temple is done, we will be in his presence forever. When his kingdom is finally uh, consummated, when his kingdom is finally 
here on earth, we will be with him ever. So even though right now, the work might feel a little lonely, the work might feel too difficult, we can be strong and courageous knowing that God is with us. So what are you going to build in 2022? Please go ahead and, and build whatever you had in mind. But make sure that above everything else, you are building God's temple. That's the best possible use of our time, of our money, of our resources, of our lives. Building God's temple is the best possible thing you can do. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you that he is the ultimate Solomon who is building your church.